The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, this is Ken Rashan. We are live in Chicago Midway Airport. I have uh, been detained on the road for a considerable amount of time. The traffic in Chicago is not something you want to be in at 3 o'clock or beyond 3 o'clock. So we have uh, an amazing host, uh, guest, I mean, Mark Amtower, who is an author, a speaker, and a guru in several areas uh, to include LinkedIn and government contracting. And he's a very special friend because he's someone that took me under his wing and uh, had me believe and, and actually coach me on how to get my first book done. So I, I wanted to, first of all, thank you, Mark, for making such a big difference in my life. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to share your story uh, about how you got, did your first book and kind of what made you uh, take on that task. Well, you know, it, it's it's a weird thing. First of all, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, it was a pleasure in trying to inspire you to get moving on your first book because, you know, your passion for networking was obvious. And being able to share that in multiple ways I thought would be important for you, and apparently it turns out that way. Um, you know, as far as my first book was Government Marketing Best Practices. It came out in 2005. Um, I started speaking uh, at, at business events uh, 25, almost 30 years ago. And at one of those events, uh, one of the people in the audience, they were all about doing business with the government. One of the people in the audience asked me where my book was and I said, I don't have one. And she said, you've given more information in the past hour than I get out of most business books, period. So, you know, the, the seed was planted and it nagged at me for a while. And then I started talking about doing a book. And, you know, kind of like you, one of my uh, uh, close friends, CEO of a company that I was advising, had heard me say that I was going to be doing this. And he heard me saying it for over a year. And he finally took me aside and said, when am I going to see it? And that really made me say, you know, it's time either to do it or just jettison the whole idea. And I, at that point, I really couldn't. It was, it was a, a, um, a matter of honor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, put up or shut up. So uh, I took my, my main seminar at the time, Government Marketing Best Practices, and literally recorded it, transcribed it, and had it turned into a self-published book that ended up selling 10,000 copies, um, which is pretty darn good for, for a self-published book. Uh, that's no small feat. I mean, most, most authors are either giving away their books, storing their books, or selling the average of 11 books. So I know that to be true. So that's a gigantic success. And I'm sure that book uh, led you to a lot of sales opportunities. Well, you know, it, when I first started writing, I, I had, you know, dollar signs in my eyes kind of thing. But what I soon found out was that for most authors, uh, especially business authors, uh, books are not profit centers. They're simply the best business card you could ever have. When you give somebody uh, that you're meeting with a copy of your book on the topic you're meeting about, obviously you're the expert. <laughs> so, um, exactly. 
it worked out quite well that way. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the points uh, that you gave in that, uh, that meeting, that speaking engagement that you had, that the woman came up and said, my gosh, that's more information than I've ever heard on, from someone who doesn't even have a book. So why don't you share some of the things that uh, you taught in the book? Well, it, it, it's not so much a matter of things I taught in the book. It's, it's a matter of how you approach speaking. And, and I think, you know, you're pretty much the same way on this. I like to give people information that they can use. So um, I was still, this is, this is probably 1993, uh, 94, somewhere around there. And I was still relatively new to speaking in front of large audiences. This, this particular group was uh, probably about 250, 300 or so people. And I, uh, um, I, I was nervous, so I really wanted to, to give them lots of stuff they could use, uh, open their eyes to the, the world of government contracting, outline some of the pitfalls that most companies uh, uh, fail in the market because they aren't aware of the pitfalls, uh, that type of thing. But I really packed it in. And um, when I go, when I went to other presentations at this particular conference, there was a lot of gloss and not much substance. So I, I began to see where I was different as far as speaking goes. I was giving away the secret sauce. And I found subsequently that if you want to stand out as a subject matter expert, giving away some of the secret sauce is, is part of that recipe. You, you, you can't simply gloss over topics and pretend to know something. Even if you do know it, if you're not giving people something they can act on, you really aren't adding value to why they came to your particular presentation. And I'm sure when you gave some of the secret sauce, people validated that had seen you before or tried what you had shared, that it was not only accurate, but that it really worked. Yeah, and, you know, it, 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 when, when you're speaking, um, it's, when I'm doing my own events, I give out workbooks that include every slide in the presentation because I don't want people, you know, having to, you know, jot down everything I say, right? So right. At, this, at this presentation, one of the things that, that got my attention was that everybody was taking notes because there wasn't, uh, um, you know, the, the, the conference producer didn't provide uh, copies of the presentation to everybody. So, uh, in, in, you know, when you've been in situations like that, you, you, you get frustrated when you're taking the notes, when you're in the audience taking the notes, because as you're writing, the speaker's going on and you're missing other stuff. So, so And what's the name yeah, of the book, Mark? The, the first book was Government Marketing Best Practices. And, and that, came, on that Amazon? came out in 2005. And that's available on Amazon? Uh, I, I, it's available as a used book on Amazon. I stopped printing the book probably four or five years ago. Uh, I had my, uh, uh, the, the company that was printing it for me stop because the information was dated at that point. And, so you know, that's still, that's why still the secret a good sauce. read for some, I'm sorry? I was going to say that's why the secret sauce at this point would not be as relevant. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's some good stories in the book, some good lessons in the book, but the the marketing tactics themselves have morphed. So, uh, you know, when when uh, selling to the government came out in 2011, I, I reiterated a few of the points in the book, but you know, really only a couple. And I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing the next version of Government Marketing Best Practices. So I'm hoping to have that out by the end of the summer. And that, once again, will be self-published. I've, I've, I've gone the self-publishing route. I've had a major publisher do one of my books. And I'm going back to self-publishing because I'm going to put it on Amazon as an ebook. Because as, as the tactics morph, I'm able to edit it rapidly as an ebook and get out sure. a new edition. Well, I will um, beg you on the air to consider Perfect Publishing because I'd like to carry your book 
to events and actually show you off as uh, not only something I could do to help make a difference for you, but also to return a big thank you for all the things that you've done uh, that year that you spent time helping me get my book done. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you know, just, we, we've, we've known each other, uh, boy, eight, eight years or so now? Yeah, eight, eight years. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I didn't consider anything I did for you favors. I was, you know, every time I sit down and talk to, to uh, 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 pretty much anyone, it's, it's a learning process from, from both sides. And I, I, you know, when I, when I have somebody, uh, you know, like you, you wanted, you were, you were talking about, uh, uh, doing the book or I planted the idea of writing the book, you know, that, that makes me think more, you know, how, how can I help Ken avoid the mistakes that I made that'll help me avoid the same mistakes the next time I put out a book? Right. Well, uh, you can never avoid all of them, can you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Do you have any funny story to share with uh, regard to uh, something you did with your book that um, was a learning lesson? Well, um, one thing, you know, it's a self-published book. Uh, you, you, you really need somebody to do a... Uh, the, the, the serious layout. So, and, and, uh, government marketing best practices went to press. I, you know, I think the biggest run I did was, was 2,000 or 2,500 copies. So it, it went to press a couple of different times. Um, but, but I think the biggest lesson is have a professional layout because when you open that book, it looks like a Word document. Okay, so it it is not professionally laid out, and that you know, eleven years later, it it's still kind of embarrassing. Nobody's ever brought it up to me, but it's personally <laughs> embarrassing. Well, I love the book that you did, uh, the couch potato book. Epiphanies. Ah, why epiphanies never occur to couch potatoes? Yes, I had somebody lay that one out. <laughs> well. That's a, that was a brilliant book, and I was very impressed with the fact that whenever I ran out of them, you always brought me over another box that I could give to people so that they would uh, learn more about you and you're in speaking stages. So that was that was very smart of you. Uh, I, I, I printed a lot of that one, maybe too many. So there, there's a lesson, too. Yes. Never, never assume yep, it's going to be a bestseller out of the gate. Yeah, but what a great title, and, the, and it was very fun. I mean, it, that was a very witty book. Uh, well, that, you know, that's a weird one, too, because, uh, as, as you may recall, there's one chapter in there that is a speech where, where the germ for the book came. And it was a 20-minute lunch speech, and two of my personal advisors happened to be at that particular lunch. So a couple of things happened after the speech. I, I was asked to, to do the lunch speech at a business conference, but the, the guy that put on the conference said, you know, everybody's heard you talk about the government market. We don't want that. We want something completely different. So I wrote a speech called Amtower's Laws of Survival and Success. And there's, you know, 10 rules in there that I, that I, try to live by. I work hard at, at living by. And uh, one of them uh, is, you know, what happens when an idea occurs to a couch potato? And usually the answer is you pop another soda or beer, you turn up the volume on the TV, but you try to avoid the idea and it goes away. Um, you, you know, it's, it's like when you get that perfect sentence in your mind. If you don't write it down, if you don't grab it right then, it goes away. Exactly. So, well, let's go on. Let's go, let's, go through the, let's go through the other ones, and maybe we can put a little link. And uh, I still have several of those books I could give away, so we could have some well, more there, listeners there, even. Uh, again, I, I, stopped, I stopped publishing that one. That was self-published as well. I stopped publishing that one, but I do know that, that uh, you know, on the, on the used side of Amazon, both those books are available and selling to the government, which came out from Wiley, is also still available. So, and well, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a, a small, not I wouldn't call it an epiphany, but something that I'm putting in a book that I'm doing later this year. It's called Chicken Poop for the Soul, and it's it's how we sabotage our success. And 
I guess it, it's kind of a, a, a companion to that book. And one of, the, one of the things I've realized is that the more ways we have to communicate with people, the more confusing it is to pick which one actually will hit them. So I have people that I try to say, my kryptonite is email, so if you email me and I'm looking at Facebook and I'm looking at my texts, I'm looking at my voicemails and, you know, several other ways that you could possibly reach me, it may not actually land. And so I don't like to brag about this because it's not a bragging item, but I have like almost 40,000 emails I haven't read. And that's, that means there's a lot of money being left on the table, but it's also that people are not realizing that's not my best place to communicate. So I've, yeah. I've had people that literally say, hey, I emailed you like two months ago, and I just think, well, why wouldn't you call me or text me that you sent an email if it hasn't been responded to? And their assumption is that I read it, and I decided I wouldn't respond, and I don't know any professional that would read an email and say, you know what, I'm just going to blow off this opportunity. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you know, if, if you're getting that many, uh, a lot of them are going to be opportunities that you'll have to pass on anyway, right? So, um you know, you you got to pick and choose, but yeah, if if yeah, you have to make it clear what your preferred method of being communicated with is, and um, you know, like I, I'm I'm on Facebook, but I don't use it. I actually joined Facebook to track my son's activity when he used it, but he's 19 now. He doesn't use Facebook anymore, so I'm still there. But on Facebook, the first thing you see is. If you want to connect with me for business purposes, please do it on LinkedIn. So that, that's well, here's what I want you to do. Business. I would like for you to share your uh, the beginnings of where you actually thought about going into business. Oh um, well, I, I I obviously worked for other people once upon a time, but it it's. It was one of those things in, in the early 80s, I started getting frustrated with people with uh, lack of vision or a different vision or a different set of values. So um, I had developed some skills in the government market. Uh, I, I actually sold training to government contractors and government agencies for a while for someone else. Uh, I was the first circulation director of government computer news way back in 82 or 83. Uh, and, and the more I looked around the government market, the more I saw that no one at that time was treating marketing to the government as a separate discipline. But what motivated me most to start my own business is I decided I did not want to live down to other people's expectations. I wanted to live up to my own. And that, that, that was the motivation for starting Amtower and Company. And in January of 1985, uh, not coincidentally, three weeks after I quit drinking, uh, I started my business. And I haven't had a drink since December 10th, 1984. Um, if, if I did, the business would have lasted probably a week or two. Um, but, uh, uh, you know... I, I, I I I look back at at that and you know my business has morphed. I've morphed several times over over that time frame. So we're in year 31, approaching year 32 in business. I've been home based the whole time. I don't manage people well, so I have I don't have employees. I have a couple of 1099s that work uh, for me, but not full time. You know they work for me when I need them. But, you know, in, in the mid-'80s, I started compiling key, uh, lists of key people in the government, and I sold them in a D-based program, and I evolved into the king of direct marketing to the government. Well, by the mid-'90s, this email marketing thing was coming along, and it, it changed the way that one marketed to the government. So direct mail became less useful Internet especially email, became more. Websites started attracting a certain amount of government business. So I had to get very familiar with this. But the government is never an early adopter 
on these things. So I had to learn ahead of time and watch as the market morphed into this and then understand and predict how the market would use it. So I've been studying my market and morphing with my market over those 31 years. So I've, I've been able to advise on all manner of marketing to the government, and now we have these social network things, particularly LinkedIn, where you know there's 1.6 million federal people on LinkedIn. A lot of those are, are managers and senior executives. So there's, there's a whole new way to reach and influence this, this market. And I, again, you know, I, I try to stay as close to that cutting edge as possible. And I try to be, you know, not simply an astute student of the market, but a historian of the market. I like to, to, to watch as things evolve and not simply comment on it, but try to understand why and how those evolutions occur. The more I can understand that, the more I can understand where the market's going and, and how to best reach out to people. And so you actively consult uh, at this point for people that are looking to do business with the government? Oh, yeah. I've been doing that uh, uh, ever since it was uh, probably two or three years after I started my business. Again, I started out selling information in D-based programs, contact information, right? Mailing address, right. phone number, fax number. Fax numbers, right? They were big then. Uh, so... <clears throat> um, one of my clients called me one day, and at the end of the conversation, they said, you know, what's really great about talking to you is you never send me a bill. And I'm going, you know, I guess I am the repository for a lot of good information <laughs> on how direct mail works in the government market. I actually went to mail rooms and watched mail being sorted in the mail rooms so I could better understand how it was routed, what got through, so I could advise my clients on that. I wasn't simply selling them the data. I was giving away a lot of information. Gotcha. And so what is, what's different now that you, is so different from what it was before? Well, it's, it, you know, traditional media uh, magazines. So there's, there's a lot of trade publications in the government market, not quite as many as there used to be. Uh, but once upon a time, the trade pubs were, were really the primary information delivery tools. The, the, the publications would be anywhere from 80 to 120 pages thick. Well, the most recent issues I've seen of some of them, they're like 16 pages, and half of the pages are, are house ads, um, you know, ad advertising their own conferences or seminars or whatever. So the, the, that has morphed into the publication websites, which are much more informationally robust. Uh, you know, I, I'm on Federal News Radio. I've been on Federal News Radio almost 10 years now. Uh, they, they archive shows there. Um, so, you know, that, that podcast ability, play on demand kind of thing is, is quite important in this market. So the, the, the entire, uh, use of the web has radically altered the, the, ability to reach and influence buyers literally at any stage of the federal buying process. And the same is true for other markets, but, you know, the, the government market is different because government procurement has a lot of esoteric res, uh, regulations that don't apply to business to consumer or business to business. Well, we have already buzzed right through a half hour. We're going to be going to break right now, and uh, in the second segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the networking you do and some advice you give to actually propel your business in this day and age. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Hello, this is Ken Rashan. I'm with Mark M. Tower. We are live, or at least I am live here at Midway Airport. I left the Sage Summit in Chicago at the McCormick Place. And this morning, uh, none other than Sir Richard Branson was speaking. And I couldn't believe he didn't get my memo to hang around a little while so I could get a photo of him holding the key smiling card. But he dashed off right after his presentation, did the old... I'm speaking, and I'm going to go backstage and vanish. And so he was gone. Uh, I, I should have probably gone to the party he had last night at the Virgin Hotel. And then I have to thank uh, Bill Walsh from Power Team USA for allowing me to come out to Chicago. And he was the one who advised me to win the leave, so I'd be on time for this radio show, and I did not take him seriously. So, uh, Mark, I just <laughs> want to re-acknowledge that... Uh, that you have made such a big difference in my life. It's really like someone giving the best advice when they say, leave a legacy, write a book, it'll change your life. And, you know, that, that Perfect Networker book, they got me on 50 radio shows, and the patience you had, um, you put, you've been very humble, and you said, yeah, I, just, I learned something too, and it was great helping you. But I, I just can't emphasize enough that I am staying here with a national radio show. Voice America has been awesome to me. And I've done so many things with my life, and I really feel that one of the pivotal points in my life was that book being printed on the day it was printed. For instance, if I hadn't met you and gotten the book done that year, that time, you know, all the things that have happened since time and space-wise probably would have shifted or not happened. It's kind of like that the movie Back to the Future, right? <laughs> when, yep. when things don't happen when they're supposed to happen, and things, they get jolted or messed up or sometimes improved. But I, I think I have so much further along because I was able to spend a lot of time with you and you were just very generous about giving me the type of advice that made me feel comfortable about pulling the trigger. And uh, you'd brought up in the first segment about how people were asking you, when's your book going to come out? It, it really is that situation that 85% of people want to write a book and only 1% pull the trigger. They don't know how or they're fearful or 
It's mainly, I think, they don't know how. And, and not knowing how is kind of a fear. But uh, I also wanted to give a big, big plug to Fred Diamond with IES, Institute for Excellence in Sales, because his most recent uh, gala and, and awards banquet was the time that I was able to see you, and I hadn't seen you for a couple of years, and just personally acknowledge you and then tell you that I want you on my show just so I can share with people what a difference it is to have a mentor, but also how important it is to follow through and get a book done. So yeah, it's kind, kind of odd because, you know, that, that did allow us to reconnect. But, you know, Fred and I go way back, too. He was a client way back when, and uh, I worked with him when he was at Apple, and I worked with him when he was at Compaq. Um, uh, and, you know, just, just he, he's, a, he's a great marketing guy. And his his uh, his institute has morphed into you know quite quite a wonderful place for networking. It was really weird because uh, we we were there for an awards dinner and you were shooting uh, shooting the show uh, or the conference, whatever. And uh, uh, one of the people who went up on stage to to get an award, Brian Green, looks around. and He goes, "Oh, and and Amtower's here too." And that's that's probably what triggered you to say. Amp Towers here? Is it Mark Amp? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was exciting, and then I and then of course I had shared with you that uh, Zeb Wexler with Wexler Marketing Group was the one who introduced me to Fred Diamonds. So all these connections, when you count them backwards, it really is important that you take care and make sure you're giving value to every connection because you never know where it's going to go to. I mean, it was literally six months after I first met Zeb that he introduced me to Fred, and Fred. Even though he met me, it took him a good three months or four months of seeing me around D.C. and saying, hey, I'm going to bring you into one of my big events. And so I was just really happy to see you again because sometimes you don't get to acknowledge the people that make a huge difference in your life or, um, you know, you just you move on and you don't get that opportunity. So I was really happy that I could have you on the show and just publicly not only announce that you made a massive difference in my life, but also just the importance of what your mentoring did for me and the book did for me. Well, thank you. You know, it, it, it's it's weird that you you phrased it that way because in uh, I've been I've been on LinkedIn since 2004. I was one of the early members of LinkedIn, but I wasn't quite sure why I was there, or how to use it. So, in in 2007, I read two books: Jason Alba's "I'm on LinkedIn Now What" and David Meerman Scott's "The New Rules of Marketing and PR." funny thing about David's book, didn't talk about LinkedIn at all, but it talked about how everything was morphing due to all of these really cool tools on on the web, all of these Web 2.0 activities, and he was giving stories and all of these anecdotes about that. So I decided to take what David wrote and apply it to LinkedIn because it was a business venue, but it allows me to acknowledge people people and written recommendations, uh, all of the people. I've given out over 350 uh, written recommendations on LinkedIn because there's been a lot of people who have influenced my life. They've helped me in big ways. They've helped me in little ways. But, you know, having been in business as a solopreneur for 31 years, I've, I've had a fair number of people influence me. I've had a couple of mentors along the way who just you know, been absolutely wonderful. And you're right, you know, being able to acknowledge their contributions to my life is is great. I've had to write a couple of eulogies. I'd rather give you that recommendation while you're here to enjoy it rather than to write another eulogy. And what are you most proud of in your uh, in what you accomplished in life? Um you know, it's it's I, I, I I'll try not to be egotistical here. But basically, I'm a marketing guy, right? And it's it's kind of weird, but I I have a fair amount of influence in the world's largest market, selling to the United States federal government, and it's the 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 influence is built literally over all 31 years. I have people who bought information from me back in the 80s who are still clients today, uh, or they're still recommending me today. So just having had an impact in my market that's palpable is, is, is humbling, but, you know, frankly, it, it's, it's also very cool.
And uh, what are you most afraid of? Uh, do you have any fears at this point? Uh, not really. Um, I, you know. So you're pretty excited not, about the election? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very amused about the elections. Um, but, 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 you know, more, more in a way that it impacts my marketing. You know, whoever gets in there can really screw up how the government does business. Or they can let things, you know, go on as they are. Hopefully there'll be some adult supervision. Um, <laughs> it, 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 well, it always helps to have those, right? Yeah, I think it's a checks and balances. Is that, is that still in play? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's still in play. But you know, you you, you ask me if I have anything to fear. I think as long as uh, you, you mentioned uh, uh, why epiphanies never occur to couch potatoes, my the the, the presentation that predicated uh, that book that, that the book came out of um, had had ten rules, but they all stem from from three rules, and they're also in that book. I have three basic rules, and as long as I live by them, I don't really have any. Fears and the rules are really simple. I don't do things that are not fun for me, and and I define fun as things that I'm really good at. So if people call and ask me to do something that's not really my expertise, I will introduce them to somebody in my inner circle who's really really good at that, and I'll make sure that those people connect so that they have somebody. The second rule is I don't do things that I can't tell my wife and children. That, that you know, it's kind of common sense, but if you have that one as your cornerstone, then um, you, you, you're really going somewhere. And the final rule is, is one that, that applies especially for people like you and me who work for ourselves. I don't take crap from things that breathe. It's just not in my nature. I don't like it. I don't put up with it. And it's the reason that I, I, you know, don't work for other people anymore. I choose to advise companies, uh, but I don't feel that I work for anyone. Well, that's, that is, those three rules are awesome. And what's next for you? What's your big uh, launch? The, you got a book well, you're working on. The the, yeah, the the next book is is the big launch, and I'm going to call it the same thing: government marketing best practices. But I'm calling it government marketing best practices 2020, not necessarily for the year 2020, because marketing morphs so fast that I do not know what marketing is going to look like in four years. But 2020 vision is getting a good view of what things are going on right now, things that work right now. 2020, we all have. 2020 vision in hindsight, right? So I'll take a look back in the book and, and trace what elements of traditional marketing are, are still applicable today uh, and, and take a solid look at the market and share the tactics at work. And I may try a little bit of prognosticating, but, but again, I'm, I'm not going to try to be a futurist in, in any sense that, that uh, stretches my knowledge base beyond where I'm comfortable. I don't know what the next cool marketing things are going to be, what's going to work, what's not. Uh, I do know what works now, and I'm planning on sharing that in just a very big way in, in the new book. And you're gonna, you're not gonna go for the new and improved cliche. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try, I'll try to come up with some great one-liners in the book. <laughs> I'd like to hear a couple. Can you give me a couple right now? Um, well, you know, I, I, I sit on an advisory board for one of the trade groups, and and they're looking for the. Uh, uh, key ways to position themselves as, you know, a leader in the market. And, I, you know, I'm listening to all, you know, how do we phrase our positioning statement? I, and I just, I said, you know, thought leadership is, is about action. It's not about talking. It's what you do that defines you in any market. So... You can share it in writing afterwards, but you, you got to live it. You don't talk it. Well said. And what are some of the other books that you've read that you'd recommend for someone's library to really make it in business? 
I, I strongly recommend David Meerman Scott's The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Uh, it is now in its fifth edition, nine years later. Uh, it's, it's a great book, so get the most recent edition if you're going to do it. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of marketing classics, so uh, Al Reese and Jack Trout wrote really the definitive marketing book from my perspective a long time ago, Positioning the Battle for Your Mind. Um, it's still in print, but the book's like 35 years old. It's, uh, it's older than my business. Um, Where did you learn that book that was so profound? Uh, you know, how, how markets morph, and there's a rule of three in most market segments, and I found this to be particularly true in, in my market. And the rule of three is that there's always a top dog who takes the lion's share, and then there's a number two that takes a large share, and then there's a number three who gets you know, pretty much the leftovers. Um, but, but, you know, and, and that's in each market niche, right? So the trick is to be a student of the market and figure out how the market is going to morph and to develop a new niche, a subcategory where you can be a, a market leader. So when you think about the web, you know, uh, uh, everybody's worried about cybersecurity right now, right? So way back in, in the, the 80s or early 90s, whenever DARPAnet uh, laid that first 15 feet of cable, as soon as they let other people access that network, cybercrime or, or hacking started. So it's been with us forever. But now, if you think about the, the cyber issues, there's probably a hundred different subcategories of cybersecurity, information assurance, uh, IT governance, uh, intrusion detection, insider threats, hundreds of things. So, you know, you can claim to be a leader in cyber, but it's probably much better to take one of those subcategories and, and be a leader in one of those. So one of the things that I teach my clients is developing that subject matter expert area. Let's figure out what intellectual capital you own, where, where your market niche is, and what your true strengths are, and develop a position for you that reflects that. And pretty much any company can do that. So I would like you to, I guess, acknowledge any mentors that you'd like to, um, but we give them a nice little shout out. Well, my my first major mentor was Lynn Bateman. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, Lynn ran a company called Government Counseling Limited, and she taught uh, both contractors and government contracting officials all about the federal acquisition regulations. So I could call Lynn on a Friday night at 8.30 at night and say, you know, I just had a call from somebody. Can you tell me, you know, what? And the, and the federal acquisition regulations, the FAR, is like 18,000 pages of stuff. It's massive, right? She would rattle a, oh, that's FAR 13.61, uh, uh, and then, then I'd hear a click. <laughs> so, otherwise occupied, but still had time to answer my question, right? And so, how about your family? Uh, my wife and children. Uh, they don't like me talking about them. <laughs> uh, my, my, my daughter's 22. She, she went through undergraduate school in three and a half years. She's, uh, a graduate student at West Virginia University. She edits my, uh, pretty, pretty much everything I write anymore. She is an English major. She is a wonderful, she's a great writer, but she's a great editor too. So she's not editing me for the content. She's editing me for flow and grammar. And every time she touches any of my stuff, it always looks a lot better. 
So uh, kudos to her. My son is a uh, student at UMBC. He's 19, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Uh, and and my wife is is my business partner. She's been my business partner since she left the federal government uh, about 20 or so years ago. And what are you most proud of uh, about your son and your daughter? Uh, the the fact that they are truly their own people. Um, my daughter is is driven. Here, here's a funny thing. You know, I'm a marketing guy, but my degrees are in American literature, and totally unbeknownst to me until probably two thirds of the way through her bachelor's degree. She she's specializing in the same area I did in my master's program, uh, the late eighteen hundreds American literature, American naturalism, American realism period. That's pretty weird, but it's pretty cool. Uh, we never talked about it when she was growing up, but but we talk about it a lot now because I still know a lot about that period of literature. Uh, my son, my um, you know. My son's my techie. <laughs> He's 19, so, you know, I, I give him my phone and say, what, what's this, or how do I do this, or fix that, and boom, there it is. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, my, uh, my wife is, is my partner. She keeps me focused. She keeps me on time. She, uh, uh, you know, she's the love of my life, and, and uh, fortunately, uh, you know, best friend, and it's it's a lot of people would have problems working with their spouse because you know there's there's very little time apart. We don't have any problem that way. What's your secret? Uh, I, I I I if I knew, I'd write a book about it. <laughs> well, that's kind of where I was going because it's rare. Um, almost actually advised not to. So that's bravo to you for actually working with her as not only a business partner, but the, the duration in which you've done it. Did, did you raise your, uh, your kids to actually want to be free spirits and entrepreneurs and leaders? Um, no. We, we, we raised them, uh, you know, first and foremost, our, our, our home is filled with, with books. Uh, we do watch television, we watch movies, but it, the, the house is filled with books. I've always had books around me, and both of my children are voracious readers, and I'm 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 extremely thankful for that. They're they're both solid thinkers. I, I'm very grateful for that as well. They don't always agree with me, so I don't know if they're thinking correctly or not. But um, but you know they they they're 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 very well grounded. Um, here, here's an odd thing. Uh, my daughter is is 22. She's never used social media. She's never been on Facebook. She was never on MySpace. She texts. She uses her phone all of the time, but she's never indulged in social media. And no desire, obviously. At this point, I doubt it. But you know, uh, you know, if she pursues an academic career, sooner or later, she's going to have to, I think. Um, but you know, maybe she'll find a workaround. Who knows? How do you raise a child to be uh, an avid reader? Uh, by being a reader yourself. They they have to see you with books and at any given time I'm probably reading three or four different books. I'm always reading something that I take a long time with so that's usually a history book. Uh, I'm always reading a fiction book. I'm always, I have at least one uh, business book that I'm reading. Um, the, the best way to teach them to read is to read yourself. Well, that is going to be some big advice I'm, I'm going to take more of because my son is gaming a lot and I'm concerned about it. <laughs> and I don't game, so I know he's not learning that from me, but it is unfortunately a second babysitter, third babysitter. So, um, 
That is that's very good advice. Yeah. I have we also a book on that later. A lot. You read them a lot. Where, where are some of the books you read? When, when, when they when they were little little tiny people, um, yeah, you know, just I, I have I have favorite books. You know, Good Night Moon, uh, The Pokey That's Little Puppy, one. anything by Dr. Seuss, uh, all of those things. I still have some of those those books here, um, and and I, I think it's important for for people to to encourage their their children to read because reading's a dying art. Thinking is a dying art. Writing is a dying art. All of these things are are dwindling. People's ability to communicate with a written word or the spoken word is is getting pretty bad. So I I, I think it's it's critical to to teach your children uh, to be you know, several cuts above what is considered the norm these days. So, can you give your information to get them reach out to you? Oh, uh, you can find me at federaldirect.net or you can find me on LinkedIn. Those are the uh, <clears throat> the best ways to do it. If you if you do Twitter, I am at Amtower, A M T O W E R. Well, Mark, I look forward to getting together with you at the La Madeleine so we can, uh, Rejoice and uh, and also celebrate what you've done with uh, reading. And also, I think I would like to actually interview you for the Amplified book beyond this because I'd like to ask you some questions about the the secret sauce of government, uh, what you do now, and and some little hints from the the new book coming out, as well as how you made a a marriage and a partnership work so well. And then the most important one was where I ended my show, which is uh, teaching children to read and, and, and teaching them the dying arts. It's, very vital as parents and leaders, isn't it? Yep. Yes, most uh, definitely. Well, you are as amazing a guest as you are a friend, and I'm thankful that uh, put up with my my midway airport interview. Um, I I so appreciate you, and you have made a huge difference in my life. I'm sure you've made a huge difference in so many other people's lives, and I look forward to our breakfast sit down and us working on some projects together. Always a pleasure, Ken. Thank you, Mark. Have a great night. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashawn again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page.